Well, I've been uh, teased here a little bit uh, this week leading up to this as we talked about wearing panther gear and that sort of thing. And and some folks uh, ask, uh, uh, Jeff, are you going to be dabbing uh, on the platform? And I... uh, I, I assured him that there was enough uh, poor quality dabbing going on in the world that I did not uh, necessarily need to add to that this morning. But I actually am going to ask you to, in just a moment, um, get into another posture. Uh, and it is actually a posture that sometimes you see on the football field. Uh, and that's the posture of getting on your knees uh, before God in prayer. And so in just a moment, uh, I asked the first service uh, to do this, and I'm going to ask you to do that as well. In just a moment, uh, we're going to just spend some time praying together. And if you're a guest with us, your first time, we don't uh, always uh, do this like this. But uh, uh, we're really focusing uh, prayer and attention on our One Cry conference coming up in just a few weeks. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able uh, to just uh, slide to your knees, and you can do that uh, at your chair, or if you want to come uh, toward the front here, or out in the aisles, or, or however that works for you. But uh, we're just going to just spend a few minutes uh, on our knees, uh, literally on our knees uh, before God, uh, just asking Him uh, to to move. Uh, and particularly uh, toward this One Cry conference. And uh, there's, there's been lots of information out there. I hope that you're staying up to date. Uh, the, the insert in there and gives you some information, schedule on the back. And uh, I, I'm going to trust that you, you are up to date with that. But as much as anything, I, I just want to encourage you to pray. And uh, there's uh, opportunities, a, a kind of a, uh, a little uh, story of encouragement and a scripture to, to pray around uh, there. But also, if you weren't here last week or you didn't get a chance to pick one of these up, uh, we're just going to be using, starting this week, starting uh, this February the 10th, a 40-day period that will take us up to and through the One Cry Conference and a follow-up between uh, February 10th and Palm Sunday. 40 days, we're just going to be praying together around the, the theme of seeking God for the city. And so there's a scripture, there's some, some prayer guides, uh, how to pray, particularly for our community, but even how to pray uh, around the world. And we're going to be praying for different parts of the world. And we're going to be joining uh, 150,000 or other folks that are, that are going to be using that prayer guide during that same 40-day period. So I want to encourage you. There's no cost to those. We want you to get them. We want you to take them home. Uh, they're at the, the tables in the lobby. So please go by on your way out, pick one of those up, uh, begin uh, this Wednesday. February the 10th, uh, putting that into practice as we, as we pray together. So we're just going to spend uh, just a, a few minutes um, literally on our knees uh, before God, uh, just asking him to move mightily in us uh, so that he might move powerfully through us. So uh, I'll just invite you to join me. I'm going to be on my knees, and uh, I invite you to, to, to likewise uh, join in that posture of prayer, if you would. Father, we come before you on our knees with our heads bowed. Just, Father, coming today in this posture of not just religiosity, but a posture of surrender, a posture of dependence, a posture that recognizes today the greatness of our God and the greatness of our need. 
Father, we, we cry, I'm crying out to you because you have invited us, uh, uh, the greatest invitation of all, to come to you. Lord, to be able to come before you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, to come boldly before the throne of grace. And Father, we just cry out to you today. We cry out acknowledging our need as we look around our country, as we look around the world, Father. We, we, we are thankful for men and women of various positions of leadership uh, in education, in government, in business, and in the military, wherever it may be. And Father, we, we, we cry out for, for more and more godly men and women to be raised up in positions of leadership uh, all across our country, all across our world. But Father, even as we pray for that, we know our ultimate hope is not in a political answer. It's not in a military answer. Father, it's not even an educational answer. It's, it's Father found in you and you alone. And Lord, we need a mighty movement of God. We come before you and acknowledge that, that apart from you, we can do nothing. We acknowledge we need you. We need you to do a mighty work around us. And Father, on our knees before you this morning, we, we draw the circle around ourselves. And, and we just ask, Father, for you to do a mighty work. Lord, do a reviving work in us. Draw us deeper into you, a, a deeper love, a deeper passion, a deeper surrender, a deeper trust. Father, uh, move um, in a new life-giving ways in us and so that you might even be able to move through us. And Father, we know that as historically, whenever you have moved in a mighty way, you have set the hearts and lives of your people to praying. And Father, we, we come before you today and we come and just cry out and ask you set our hearts afire, set our lives uh, to be praying lives. Lord, do a mighty work as you always begin in your house with your people. Father, we ask you to come. Come and bring us to new levels of repentance. Bring us to new levels of trust. Bring us to new levels of brokenness. And Father, it's, it's through the pathway of brokenness and repentance that we'll find the life that truly is life, that we'll experience your love and your supernatural power as we never have before. And so, Father, we just come see our physical posture see the posture of our hearts father we we can't manipulate you we can't demand from you we just come and cry out in dependence upon you father would you move among us would you touch us would you revive us again? Father, we pray for this One Cry conference that's going to begin two weeks from today. Father, we just pray that you would just uh, just bring anointing upon that team, give them power, give them uh, a refreshment as they come to be with us. Father, we pray that you would prepare us. Father, we ask that you would just move in a supernatural way in these days. Father, we ask you to do something extraordinary so that we might look back and say that, that catalytic moment when God moved in might and power. Father, we cry out in dependence on you. We cry out with one cry today, asking you to move. We cry out in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining in that. And again, let me encourage you to just continue to make that a matter of prayer and of priority in your, your scheduling and in your, your calendaring, if you, if you would. As we turn one more time to a, a teaching from the, this series on identity crisis, we're going to uh, wrap that up today. And, and we, we've been doing so with, with intentionality, kind of focusing in on this. And as we turn to the teaching today, let me ask you to think about one thing very quickly. And that is simply this— 
Who do you talk to the most? Who do you talk to the most? And maybe some of you'd say, well, as a spouse or a friend or a coworker, or maybe you'd say a parent, a child, or maybe some different names and faces come to mind. But let me suggest something to you this morning. The person that you talk to the most is you, right? And we talk to ourselves all the time. Now, we, we get to a point, hopefully somewhere in our maturity, that we learn not to move our lips all the time when we're doing that, right? Because folks kind of look at us weird, right? Occasionally when we think we're alone, we're, we're you know, in the car, we're, you know, we're doing it with the lips out loud, and then we notice the weird glance from the person beside us at the stoplight or something, or, or maybe we thought we were alone in the house or the room, and then somebody else walks in and kind of hears us going at it with ourselves. But whether we do it out loud, whether our lips are moving or they're still, We talk to ourselves all the time. The question is, are we speaking truth to ourselves? What is it that we are communicating to ourselves? Sometimes we're not very benevolent with ourselves. How could you be so stupid? I cannot believe you did that. What in the world? You're always messing up. You're you're such an idiot. Or sometimes you're having imaginary conversations. I wish I should have told them this. I could have done it. I could have shut Yeah, And we, we just have all these conversations. But we talk to ourselves about ourselves. And that's why we felt it was important to start this year By just going back to some fundamentals, what has God said about us? And the core conviction of this entire series has been that the truest thing about us is what God says about us. The truest thing about us is not our self-conversation. Hopefully that's increasingly true as we discover truth. But the truest thing about us is what God says about us about us. And we've come to the, the conclusion that how we see ourselves is so vitally important that our understanding of God and our understanding of self affects everything else in our lives. It affects our relationships, uh, our our challenges, our opportunities, uh, how we make decisions. Everything is impacted by how we see, how we understand ourselves. And so we've been spending some time in this series, and I hope part of your self-conversation has been changed a little bit, or at least refined a little bit through this series. That maybe as you're talking to yourself, you are increasingly reminding yourself of who you are in Jesus Christ. That we are a, an intentional creation by God. That we have purpose, we are dependent, and, and we have an accountability with what we do with our life. That we are, are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have a legal standing as one who is, is not guilty, has is, is been justified, made right in the eyes of a holy, righteous God because we are now in Christ. And as one who is in Christ, we not only have this legal standing before God as being, as being without guilt, but we now have a family relationship with God, that we have been adopted, that we are a part of his forever family. And as a child of God, he's going to work to conform me to the image of Christ. He's going to hear me when I cry out in prayer, Abba, Father. He indwells me with his spirit. He loves me unconditionally. He's going to continue to discipline me with a loving, wise, fatherly discipline along the way. 
We talked about the fact that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. As a new creation, we have a new life. We have new passions, new priorities, new potential, new empowerment that is a part of our life. That's true about us in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be speaking to ourselves. And last week, we talked about the fact that we are a citizen of heaven and that we are, by God's design, we're, we're in a sense just passing through. That this world and its value systems and all the things that call for our attention is not our home. It's not where our ultimate identity is grounded in, but it is grounded in our citizenship in heaven and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I want us to, to do, and then we're going to look at one more, and this is not all that the Bible says about our identity, but I'm going to lo- I want us to look at one more this morning, one more truth about who we are, one more element that I hope will be part of our ongoing self-conversation, and that is the simple fact that the Bible says that if I'm in Jesus Christ, I am a saint. I am a saint. Now, I'm not talking about the football team in New Orleans here, all right? I understand Super Bowl Sunday and all that, but but, but the Bible says, I am a saint. Now, immediately upon hearing that, some of us say, whoa, no, are you kidding? Saint, I mean, that's like people that are like super spiritual, super holy. They kind of have halos around their head, or they make paintings and statues of them, and when they have paintings, they even have like light around them and stuff, or or they're just like, they, they give up everything, and they do all this, and whoa, no way, I'm not, I'm not a saint. Well, actually, biblically, if you're in Christ, you are. According to the Bible, every follower of Jesus Christ is a saint. In fact, it's over 45 times in the New Testament we have that description of followers of Christ as saints. We have a couple of examples just in your note-taking guide uh, from Ephesians 1. Paul, he begins his letter, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who's he writing to? To the saints who are in Ephesus. He's writing to the entire church, and he declares, you are saints. And you see that same thing in, in, in Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. Let me give you one more example. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And if you know anything about the New Testament, the church in Corinth was not a saintly church, all right? I mean, it was a messed up church. It had all sorts of issues, all sorts of problems. But when Paul writes to them, he addresses them in this way. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. All of those who are in Jesus Christ are saints. Now, what in the world does that exactly mean? Well, if you kind of dig a a little below the English, the word that's translated very often in English, saint, uh, is a translation in the New Testament from the Greek word hagias, which, from which we get the word holy and sanctify. So you kind of have that same root word at work a couple times there in Corinthians. He talks about those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So, so the, the base word where we get saint is the same word where we get holy or to get, get sanctified. These all come from the same Greek word. To be holy or to be sanctified at its, at its 
core means to be set apart for God. So sometimes it might say there was holy furniture in the temple or these holy instruments that were used in service of the temple. What did that mean? They were especially set apart. They were set aside for God. The essence of holiness is, is to be set apart, is to be separate. And so when we think about what it means to be a saint, what it means to be holy, what it means to be sanctified, it means that I have been set apart for God. The New Testament talks about it in a lot of different ways. It talks about the fact that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You have been set apart. You have been purchased. You no longer belong to you If you are in Jesus Christ, you now belong to him. You have been set apart for God. And when we think about holiness and we think about being a saint, in the life of a believer we can think of it in at least three ways. They are connected and yet they are distinct. First of all, there is positional holiness. Positional holiness. This is who we are. If we are in Jesus Christ, he has declared us to be holy. He has declared us set apart unto him. Colossians 1. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Before the intervening work of Jesus Christ, Paul said you were alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were separated from God. But in Jesus Christ, you now have a new position. You are no longer separated from God. You are separated unto God. You now are separated to belong to him. You have been reconciled. You have been made holy, blameless, above reproach. That is your position before God through Jesus Christ. There's a positional holiness. Positionally, I am now set apart for God. But there is also a progressive holiness. It is who we are becoming. We talked earlier in this series, as we introduced the series, that as we go through some of these identities, this is who you are. This is who God has declared you to be. But it's also true that you have to grow into these identities. You have to grow into the full experience of the full living out of these identities. That's what progressive holiness is all about. It's who we are becoming. And so we have scriptures like Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That God is at work. He's at work in my life and yours so that not only positionally we will be set apart unto him, but more and more of our life, we continue to peel back the layers of our life and more and more the layers of our life are separated. They are dedicated. They are given over fully to him. It is a progressive holiness. And that progressive holiness is fed by personal or practical holiness. Personal or practical holiness is really about what we do. Progressive is who we are becoming. The practical personal holiness may be thought of in terms of what we do. So when you come to 1 Peter 1, 
you find these words. He's been talking in the, in the opening of that first chapter about the salvation we have, the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he pivots off of that. Therefore, in light of what Christ has done for us, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So that on a very practical level, on a, on a personal level, in light of who I am positionally, in light of God's progressive work in me, practically I begin more and more, my conduct more and more begins to align with my position, begins to align with Jesus Christ. Now, now let, me, let me try to unpack this just a little bit. When we think about holiness, don't think primarily about a list of do's or don'ts. And that tends to be where our, our minds go by default, right? Well, a holy person do, doesn't do da 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 Usually we have a pretty long don't list, right? And he does da 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 And I'm not saying there aren't do's and don'ts. There certainly are clear commands in Scripture. But holiness at its core is not just a list of do's or don'ts. But it is conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. So to be holy, to be progressively remade in holiness, to be, to be personally and practically holy, it means more and more I am being conformed to the character of God. More and more I am walking fully, passionately, hot-heartedly in obedience to the will of God. That's the essence of walking in holiness, being conformed to the character of God, being shaped in obedience to the will of God. When we think about holiness and being a saint, it is someone we are, but it is also something we are to pursue by God's enabling grace. It is who we are positionally. You are holy. You are set apart unto God. This is part of how we need to understand ourselves, how we need to talk to ourselves. But you are also to pursue this, to pursue this vigorously with everything that is in you. So you find scriptures like Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's something you've got to work at. For it is God, but you do it in dependence on God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The one who has set you apart is at work within you to progressively conform your character to the character of God, progressively enable you to obey fully and completely the will of God. But you are to work that out into every facet of your life by his enabling grace. So you come to the author of Hebrews and he'll say, strive for peace with everyone. Or some of your translations will say, pursue. Pursue peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That that it is something to be passionately pursued. It is not something that you just put on autopilot, but you are to passionately pursue personal and practical holiness. It is who you are and it is what you will give your life in pursuit 
of, enabled by God's Spirit. Now, as we think about that, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this pursuit. And and there, there are many great resources out there, but I'm just, in, in kind of a broad brush strokes, I'm going to say, if I am, by God's grace, God's enabling grace, going to pursue my identity as a saint, if I'm going to pursue holiness, set-apartness unto God, there are some things that I'm going to have to choose on a regular basis. I'm going to have to learn to choose what I think about, to choose what we think about. And so we have the encouragement of scriptures like Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Enabled by God's Spirit, choose what you think about. Because what you think about is going to help shape your choices. It's going to help shape your life. We come to understand that real change begins in the mind. It begins with our thinking. And if we're going to pursue holiness, we have to be diligent to evaluate what am I thinking about. So when Paul was issuing the challenge to the Romans, Romans 12, about laying down their lives as a living sacrifice, their, their, their whole being, their body as a living sacrifice, and then he said the first step in that, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Where does it begin? It begins in the mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. It begins with a transformation of the way that we think. Now, now let me pause here for ju- just a moment more. We don't live in a neutral moral environment, all right? I mean, we, we live in a world where there, there is so much pushing against holiness, so much pushing against living as one separated unto God. And if I'm going to live differently, if I'm going to walk distinctly, I'm going to have to pay attention to what I'm thinking about. Where does my mind tend to drift in those unguarded moments? That tells me a lot about what I am thinking about. I have to pay attention to what am I feeding my mind through the eye gate? What am I feeding my mind through the ear gate? What, what, am, I, what am I feeding my mind? I mean, think about it for a minute. You know, we got the, the Olympic Games coming up uh, later this year. Uh, and, and listen, none of us is going to compete in the Olympics, right, and eat like Super Bowl diet every day, right? You can't do that. You can't just like feed your body nachos and chili and whatever else is going to be at your Super Bowl gathering and and expect to perform as an elite athlete. You can't do that. You can't feed your mind consistently junk and expect to walk in holiness. We live in a world where, if you can think about it, 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 we're in this stream, right? And you're going upstream. And if you just kick it into to, to neutral, you know, I do, I do some kayaking. I mean, if you're trying to go upstream, the, the minute you take that oar the, the, out of the water, you don't keep gliding upstream very long. You're going you're gonna to start coming back. Because that, that's, that's, that's the, the direction of the water. We live in a world where the direction is away from God. 
you're going to have to choose to think differently. You're going to have to think about what you think about. You're going to have to think about what you're feeding your mind on a consistent basis. You can't remove all the junk in the world, but you can choose a lot of what you do or don't feed your mind. If I'm going to pursue holiness, I have to choose what I think about. I have to choose my habits. We have to choose our habits. So again, thinking about, about that, that, that training, that, that athletic imagery, if you will, Paul was drawing on that as he wrote to Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Gymnastatize is, is the root there. Uh, for train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So these Olympic athletes, they're not only paying attention to what they're eating, right? But they're training. I mean, none of us is just going to show up in Brazil later this year and say, you know, I've always wanted to run that 100 meter. That looked like so much fun. And I was was fast back in middle school. I think I could do it, right? Are you kidding? I mean, they train hours and hours and there's there's strength training there's there's coaching there's there's film there's this is your stride length this is how you explode out this is how you finish well this is this is how you 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 get your stride down and cut resistance i mean they do all of these things for years just to be able to run well for a few seconds to maximize their sprint And in much the same way, drawing on some of that same imagery, Paul's saying, you got to train yourself. You got to train yourself consistently. You got to put habits into your life that will help move you toward holiness, toward set apartness for God, toward conforming, being conformed to the character of God and walking in obedience to the will of God. It's been said that we form our habits and then our habits form us. Uh, we, we choose our habits. You can choose to lay on the couch or you can choose to exercise. You can choose to practice the, the, the music or you can choose to, to, to watch TV. But you choose your habit and then your habits begin to form you. That's why even starting today, we've got a new cycle going up, six, six spiritual growth habits. We offer that a couple times a year because we want to just help you form some of these core habits, habits of holiness, habits that can help you move forward in holiness, in being separated unto God. We choose. We choose our habits. We choose, uh, the, the, and they will form us. We're also going to choose our relationships. We choose our relationships. And you, you've heard the negative example of this for years, right? Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins, or some translation says corrupts, a good morals. And so as parents, very often one of the things we want to pay attention to is who are our children's friends, right? Why do we care? Because we know who you hang out with impacts your life. You tend to gravitate and become like those that you hang out with the most. And so we want to pay attention to our children's friends. We want to know 
Who are they? What kind of family? What values do they have? Da, 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 da. We want to know these things because we know the powerful influence of relationships. And that doesn't stop once you get out of high school. But relationships continue to shape and mold our life. If I'm going to move forward in holiness, I'm going to have to choose strategically relationships. Now, as a follower of Christ, I'm to impact the world. I'm to be salt and light. And so I don't just hide out in the salt shaker. Uh, You know, I don't put the the light under the bushel basket. Yes, I need to have relationships with those who are far from Christ so that I can influence them for the kingdom. Absolutely. But there has to be a a proper balance in my life. And what that balance looks like may depend on what season of life you're in and where you're at right now. But there has to be a balance where you have some strategic relationships in your life that are encouraging you, that are supporting you, that are helping you to swim upstream in the world in which we live. Habits and relationships, they help us to move forward toward holiness. So as I think about I'm set apart unto God, how can I begin to practically do that? I can practically think about what I think about what I'm feeding my mind. I practically think about the habits that are forming my life, whether I recognize it or not. I think about the key relationships in my life. Where are they leading me? Where are they taking me along the way? Fourthly, I can also choose my response to circumstances. You've heard me say for a number of years, if you've been around here, you can't choose all the circumstances of your life. You can't. I I was listening, I heard somebody the other day, and they, they, they... kind of were espousing that all the circumstances in your life are, are, you know, you had something to do with, and I don't know if they were espousing a law of attraction or what. Listen, you can't, you can't control all the circumstances of your life, but you get to choose your response. You get to choose how you're going to respond to those circumstances. And that's what Scripture encourages us over and over again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whatever the circumstance is, choose joy. Whatever the circumstance is, keep praying. Whatever the circumstance is, find something to give thanks for. You can choose that by God's enabling grace and power. One other example, Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? When God brings discipline to bear in your life, you can resent it, you can rebel against it, you can grow bitter, or you can choose growth. You can choose to allow that discipline to shape your character, to conform with the character of God, to direct you to walk in ways that are obedient to the will of God. We can choose our response to circumstances. And there's one more, and that is that as we think about walking in holiness, as we think about pursuing holiness, we can choose to be accountable. 
And this connects with the relationships in our, in our life, but it's a deeper level still. We can choose to make ourselves accountable to others. We can choose to enter into some key relationships with a few other people. I think it works best, men with men, women with women. A few key relationships where we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we want our lives to honor God, because we want to glorify Christ, we're going to choose to submit to one another. We're going to choose to to place our lives in in loving accountability to one another. And we think about accountability. Some people, they hear accountability and they think somebody that's just looking to zap you. Somebody that's just looking and waiting for you to go do one thing wrong so they can say, ah, gotcha. That's just a small slice of accountability. Accountability is more about encouragement. It's about structure. It's about support. Yes, as, as a good coach would do to an athlete, listen, you're, you're using the wrong foot here. This, swi- this needs to be switched up. Yes, they will address things that need to be addressed, but, but to m- not just to say, got you, but to help you to move forward, to pursue holiness. So that James would talk about, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Can I just give you some very practical counsel here? I don't think it's wise to confess your sins to hundreds and thousands of people, all right? It's just me. I don't personally think you need to post a lot of those on social media, all right? If you want to do it, go ahead. I don't think it's really wise, all right? I'm not sure you look at a scripture like that and you need to say, I need to post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever all of my sins. No. But do you have a few? Do you have a few folks in your life that you can be a little more real with? That you can say, I'm struggling with this one. I am trying to pursue holiness in this area. I'm trying to live as one set apart unto God. But I, I find myself tripping up here pretty consistent. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? Can you help me to see what I'm not seeing? So that you need to have some safe place. That's part of what accountability is. Safe enough to be real. I'm just going to go ahead and just, just put this out here because I think this may be for some of us in the room this morning. Accountability may be the missing key for many of us in the pursuit of holiness. If, if when you think about being separated unto God and, and this whole talk of the holiness and all this, and, and right now you're just, you, perhaps you're feeling some frustration or some conviction, you feel like, you know, I, Jeff, I keep hitting this wall. I, I keep hitting this wall. Or if you think about the ceiling, if that's a better imagery, I, just, I feel like I just keep hitting my head above. I can't get above this. It may very well be that you need to invite somebody into your life to help you bust through that wall. Somebody to help you break that ceiling. And that is part of God's gift to you. He designed us to be dependent on Him and interdependent with one another. And so it may very well be if, you, if there's some area in your life where you keep running into the wall or slamming up against the ceiling, whatever imagery you want to use, if there's some area, it could be that you need to look at this key and say, could this be the key? Could this be what God wants to use to open the door so that I don't keep running into the same wall, I don't keep busting my head on the same ceiling time after time after time? 
Accountability may be the missing key for many of us in the pursuit of holiness. Positionally, we are set apart unto God. God is going to work progressively to make us more and more like Him. But we have to practically, personally pursue holiness. And these five things, what we think about, the habits that we form, the relationships that we choose, the, 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 the choice to how we respond to circumstances, the choice to be accountable, these things can help us in this pursuit of holiness. Now, there could be a whole lot more, but that's a pretty good foundation. Well, let me just kind of close with a word of encouragement and then a word of challenge. The word of encouragement is simply this. It takes time. It takes time. There is not instant holiness in the sense that I will be holy in all my speech, all my conduct, all my thoughts. It, it just doesn't happen. It is, there is a progressiveness to it. It takes time. Some of you in this room, you have such perfectionist tendencies that if it's not perfect right off the bat, you beat yourself up. God does not want to beat you up. He wants to build you up. Yes, it takes time. It will take a lifetime. The pursuit of holiness will be a lifetime pursuit. Now, that doesn't mean you wait till the end of your life to get started, all right? It just means that it will be something that you will continually pursue. And as you, as you continue to move, God will continue to show you new areas of growth, new areas of development. That's okay. It takes time. We're all works in progress. Decisions can be made in a moment, but real change usually takes place over time. Now, here, here's where I just want to encourage some of you. Because some of you say, Jeff, man, I prayed, I prayed the sincerest prayer I have ever prayed in my life. And I keep running into that same wall. I made a decision. I made a commitment. I made a recommitment, and I'm still struggling. That's okay. Decisions can be made in a moment. But in some areas of our life, real change usually takes place over time. That's why a lot of New Year's resolutions never make it to February, right? Because we made a decision, we made a commitment, but we didn't have a process in place. We didn't have a support structure in place. We didn't continue to, 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 to manage that decision. It takes time. And God is going to walk with you and work with you, but continue to pursue holiness with his grace enablement. That's the encouragement. It takes time. He hasn't given up on you yet. Don't you give up on you. Here's the challenge. I'm going to let D.A. Carson do it because his words are like tons more eloquent than mine. I'm going to read these. Please follow along. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, 
People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Here's the challenge. You and I don't drift into holiness. It is something that we have to passionately pursue every single day of our lives. But here's the thing. Holiness does not confine you. Holiness frees you. Holiness does not limit you. True God-centered holiness liberates you. It liberates you to become the person that God created you to be. It liberates you and enables you to do the things that God designed for you to do. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Holiness enables you, frees you, empowers you to experience the abundance of life that is only found in Jesus Christ. Sin deceives. Sin distorts. Sin destroys. Sin decays. Sin brings death. Holiness brings life. You are a saint. You are holy. Now pursue holiness with everything that is within you. Because the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And he says, in Jesus Christ, you are set apart unto me. You can live differently and distinctly. You are a saint. Let's bow our heads and pray together, please. Father, we just praise you for what you have done for us. What you have done for us that we could never, ever, ever have done for ourselves. And Father, I I just ask right now, Lord, as we're having conversations with you, as we're having conversations with ourselves, Father, would you just right now just remind us of who we are, who we are in Christ Jesus, who who we can be, who you have called us to be, who you have already declared us to be. Father, I just just ask right now that you'd help us to understand that we are saints, that we are set apart. And that we have the ability and the capacity to pursue holiness. As you just take these few moments to sit before the Lord, in your note-taking guide, there's a section there at the end that says making it personal. And I'm just going to invite you to take just a few moments as we respond to, to God to just glance over those. Now, I hope maybe those will be some questions that might even serve you well this week and in the days ahead, just something you can come back and, and just touch bases with as you think about making it personal, this pursuit of holiness. But as you just scan those questions, just maybe in these moments right now, just allow God's Spirit to surface one to the front of your mind. Just spend a few moments there. What is he saying to you about the thoughts you've been thinking? 
the things you've been feeding your mind? Are there adjustments to be made? What are the habits that are characteristic of your life? And what are those habits forming in you? Are there adjustments? How about the relationships of your life? Are they helping you to grow in holiness? How's that happening? How'd you respond to circumstances this past week? How are you responding to the loving discipline of your Heavenly Father when it comes? What's your attitude? Is there anybody in your life that you can be a little more transparent with? That you can hold one another accountable in the healthiest, best sense of that term? Is there an area where you need a breakthrough? Maybe you need a partner to go through there with you. So you just process those in God's spirit. I'm just going to ask you just, just to just maybe write down a word or a sentence just to say, God, this is my next step. And you may want to write it right there on your note-taking guide. Or maybe you want to write it on the Connect card if you still have that and just say, Pastor Jeff, this is, this is part of my next step in the pursuit of holiness. Pray for me in this. There's a few of you in this room this morning I want to talk very specifically to. Your next step is, includes a physical step. It includes a physical step to the connect room in the very back of our worship space. It's a space we've set aside for you. For right now, there's some of you, and perhaps right now, God is speaking to you about, about turning turning from sin, turning from self, and turning and placing your faith and trust in Christ as, as Savior, as Lord. And today is the day where you need to nail that down. You need to talk to somebody. You need to tell somebody about what God's doing in your life. And, and this Connect team is available to you right now. And, and I'm just going to ask you, even as I'm talking right now, if you need to get up and begin to slide that way, folks will be glad to let you by. They're going to be there throughout the the moments when we just stand and sing. They're going to be there right after the close of our service. Today, some of you need to go back there and talk to somebody about Jesus. Some of you need to go public with your faith in Christ in the New Testament way of baptism. And the way to take that step is to take some physical steps back to that connect room. Let us help guide you in that process of baptism. For some of you, it's about nailing down your place in the family. And today you need to step back in that connect room and say, I'm ready to just invest my life in First Baptist for the King and the Kingdom. Our team can help you with that. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about something. Our team can help. But for some of you, your next step is not just something you're going to write on a piece of paper. It includes a physical step and a conversation with somebody that can help you take that next step. As you take those next steps in obedience to God, I'm going to ask.